Thank you, Sharon, and good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be here with you this morning. And as Richard said, our topic today is invitation to healing. So that's what we'll be considering as we explore that passage together. And I'd like to start by telling you two stories. They're made-up stories. These are not real people that I'm going to tell you about. But I wonder if you'll find yourself relating to one or other of them as I introduce them to you. First, let's meet Adam. Adam attended a Christian conference last year. At one of the worship meetings, one of the leaders shared a word of knowledge that there was someone present with chronic knee pain and invited them to come forwards to receive healing. Adam knew in his heart it was a word for him. He came forward, people laid hands on him and prayed, and he was completely healed from that point on. Now let's meet Betty. Betty has two teenage children, and she has recently been widowed. Her husband died following a long battle with cancer, during which the whole church had been praying faithfully, week by week, and believing that God would heal him. And yet he continued to grow weaker day by day. I wonder if either of those stories rings true in your own experience or that of people that you know. How do you feel as you consider those examples? I just want to say as we start that I know for some of us we may have really strong emotions around the area of healing and for others of us it may be a really live issue right now. Later in today's service we're going to have time to pray individually for one another and I just really encourage you to take up that opportunity wherever you're at today and however you're feeling. But as I start now let me begin with a prayer for us all. Our loving God, we, <clears throat> we know that you are a God who longs to heal. And so we pray, Lord, for you to come by your spirit now. Open our eyes, open our hearts to you, Lord. However we're feeling right now, would you just come into this space by your spirit. We welcome your presence among us now, Jesus. In your name, amen. And so let's turn to our passage from Luke chapter 8. If you've got a Bible app on your phone, do open it. Or if you've brought a Bible with you to church. If you haven't and you want one, then there are some on the trolley at the back. We can come and bring one to you or you can go and grab one if you'd like to. But if you can, do have Luke chapter 8 open as we look at it together. And the first person we meet as we dive into this story is Jairus. Jairus is an important official at the synagogue. He's a public figure. And yet, did you notice how he humbles himself to come and fall at Jesus' feet and beg for him to come? His only daughter is dying. He's desperate for help. And he recognises that Jesus has the authority and the power to intervene. Jesus responds. He sets off for Jairus' house. But then he gets interrupted. How frustrated and anxious must Jairus have been. Come on, Jesus, we're going to be too late. But Jesus has a different agenda. The woman who touches his cloak is not named. 
She's not an important public figure like Jairus. She is a nobody. She's been bleeding for 12 years. And according to Jewish law, she has been unclean for all of this time. Unable to take part in temple worship and unable to touch or be touched by anybody because she would make them ceremonially unclean also. Mark's gospel adds that she had spent all she had on doctors, but there wasn't a thing that they could do to help her. She doesn't come publicly and fall at Jesus' feet like Jairus. She creeps up behind him, trying to stay unnoticed, believing that if she could even just touch the hem of his garment, that would be enough for her. And immediately... She is healed. She tries to slip away quietly, but Jesus calls her forward. He knows that she's been healed, and she knows it herself. But Jesus wants the whole community to know, to know that she is no longer unclean, but can be accepted back into society. But then a messenger arrives from Jairus' house. His daughter has died. Jesus didn't get there in time. It is too late. How do you think Jairus would have felt when Jesus says, just believe and she will be healed? I imagine he could have hardly dared hope that Jesus was right, that even now it wasn't too late. The mourners at Jairus' house laugh when Jesus tells them the girl is sleeping. They know she's dead and the dead don't come back to life, do they? Jairus came to Jesus publicly, but this miracle of new life is done in private. Just the closest disciples, Peter, James and John, and the child's parents are there as Jesus takes the girl by the hand and says, my child, get up. Even death is no barrier to the healing power of Jesus. Two individuals, two miracles. The woman is healed. Jairus' daughter is raised from the dead. But if we read this as just a story of something that happened in the Holy Land 2,000 years ago, I think we're sort of missing the point. Because the God who healed the woman from her chronic bleeding and who brought Jairus' daughter back to life is still at work in our world today. And so I'd like to share four reflections as we consider how we might experience God's healing for ourselves. First, let's consider the power of God. I mentioned earlier that the bleeding the woman had experienced made her unclean, according to the Jewish law. When she touched Jesus, she should have made him unclean also. That's just the way it worked. Except this time, it didn't. Rather than her making Jesus unclean, the power flows the other way round. Cleanness flows from Jesus to the woman, and she is healed and made clean. 
The same thing happens when Jesus takes Jairus' daughter by the hand. Touching a dead person was another unclean thing. But again, the cleanness, the power flows from Jesus to the girl rather than the other way around. I just want to dwell on this for a moment so we don't miss it. This is the power of the God who created the universe from nothing. The power of the God who raised Jesus from the dead. The power of the God who healed the woman and raised Jairus' daughter. This same power of God is still at work today. So when we come to God to ask for healing, whether that's on behalf of ourselves or someone we know, we can come knowing that the God to whom we pray has the power to answer our prayer. Sometimes God will heal instantly and miraculously, as in the story of Adam I shared at the start. Other times he will heal through the work of medical professionals. Please don't hear me wrong on this. If you're unwell in any way, it's really important to seek appropriate medical help. This is one of the ways God works healing. But why wouldn't we also want to pray and ask God to intervene in his mighty power? And remember that this is God's power, not ours. Paul writes to the Corinthians that we have this treasure, that's God's power, in jars of clay, that's us, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So let's not forget that we are the jars of clay. This is not about us finding some sort of magic formula of just the right words to use in our prayers. We can simply come and pray boldly in the name of Jesus for God to heal by his mighty power. Second, let's consider the place of faith Both Jairus and the woman come to Jesus in faith. Jesus even says to the woman, your faith has healed you. But what does it mean to have faith in this context? I think it's actually really simple. In the context of healing, faith is about believing that God has the power to heal, as I've just been saying. But more than that, it's daring to ask him, to bring that power into your particular circumstances, taking a step of faith and daring to ask. And again, it's not like a magic slot machine where if you put in just exactly the right amount of faith, you get a healing dispensed out the other end. It makes me quite sad, but also a bit angry when I hear of well-meaning Christians telling others that the reason why they haven't been healed is because they don't have enough faith. Almost like, it's your fault, you must try harder. And that is the exact opposite of the gospel of grace. Jesus says, faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. It's not about trying to summon up enough faith to get past some hypothetical goal line. Having faith is simply believing that God has the power to intervene and daring to ask in the name of Jesus. Thirdly, let's consider what healing actually involves. 
One definition I've come across says this, healing is helping people move towards life in all its fullness. Life in all its fullness. We are holistic beings and healing can encompass our minds and our spirits as well as our bodies. We see this in our Bible reading where Jesus not only heals the woman who is bleeding, but publicly acknowledges the healing so the rest of the community can know she's clean. She receives relational healing as well as the physical healing. Not only this, but Jesus calls her daughter. For someone who has crept up behind Jesus, not thinking enough of herself to come forward more publicly, to be called daughter by Jesus feels really significant. Jesus offers her emotional healing from the low self-esteem and worthlessness that has been part of her identity for so long. And Jesus holds out this offer of healing in mind, body and spirit to us all. I wonder if any of us have come to church today feeling overwhelmed, stressed, anxious or maybe carrying a burden of shame or worthlessness. What is holding you back from living life in all its fullness? Will you dare to come in faith and ask for healing in the name of Jesus today? My final reflection on healing is a question that I guess for some of us may hold real deep personal meaning, and it's this. What about when we do come to God boldly with faith in the name of Jesus for healing, but our prayers are not answered? It's a complicated question, and I'm not going to be able to explore every angle of it right now. But if you want to talk about this in more detail, then I'd love for you to come to me afterwards or Patrick or Richard, and we'll either chat with you at the end of today's service or book a time to do that later in the week if you want to chat this through. But just a few thoughts for now. Let's make sure we're praying the right prayers, by which I mean be sensitive to how someone asks you to pray. For instance, there are some people who live with long-term disabilities who long for God's healing. But I've read articles written by others who see a disability as part of who God has made them to be and are actually offended if someone offers to pray for healing. And also if someone is approaching the very end of their life, sometimes it feels more appropriate to pray for God to take them home peacefully rather than to pray for healing. So listen to someone's story. Listen to how they ask you to pray. Don't assume you know the answer. But of course, that does still leave us with the many times that someone is genuinely longing for healing and their prayer goes unanswered. The Apostle Paul shared this experience for himself. In 2 Corinthians 12, he writes about a thorn in the flesh that he had struggled with. Commentators are unsure exactly what this was, but it seems to have been some sort of physical or emotional difficulty. Paul writes this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul prayed for healing, not once but three times, but God did not remove his thorn in the flesh. God had something different in mind for Paul. God's power was shown in Paul's weakness rather than through his healing. 
And yes, sometimes with hindsight, we can see a reason why God chose not to answer a prayer that we prayed earnestly over a period of time. But I have to say in my experience, these times are the exception rather than the rule. Far more often, there is no logical explanation to be worked out. And we're left asking, why, God? Why? Like the story of Betty I shared at the start. Christian writer Pete Gregg wrote this. We often want God to come with a helicopter and airlift us out of our problems. But more often than not, he parachutes in and joins us in the midst of them. Sometimes our prayers for healing may not be answered in the way that we hoped. But God answers instead with his presence, coming alongside and walking with us as we journey through sickness and even through death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So I wonder whether sometimes it's not so much that our prayers are unanswered, but rather that they're answered in a different way. God may come parachuting in to be with us in our struggles, rather than coming with a helicopter to airlift us out of the situation that's causing us pain. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, in the synagogue in Nazareth, he read out these words. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus came to bring in the kingdom of God, a kingdom where the blind will see, prisoners will be set free and the oppressed will be healed. He invites us to partner with him in the work of that kingdom as we wait for the kingdom to come in all its fullness when he returns. He invites us to pray simply and boldly in the name of Jesus for God to heal by his mighty power. So whether you come boldly like Jairus or in fear and trembling like the unnamed woman, will you dare to come and ask for healing today? Amen.